Hello, and welcome to the Being Well podcast. I'm Forrest Hansen. Last week, we continued the strength of intimacy by taking a look at empathy. When we use empathy, we get a sense of the sorrows and joys of other people. But empathy on its own doesn't inherently mean that we become kinder or more compassionate towards others. That's our focus today, warming the heart and developing greater compassion and kindness as personal traits. To help us do that, I'm joined today by Dr. Rick Hansen. So most people probably view kindness, compassion, and love as intrinsically good things. But what are some of the perhaps more self-interested reasons that people should be motivated to being warmer to others? Well, first I want to call out a term that's emerging these days called pathological altruism. Okay. The ways in which being too swept away by kindness and compassion for Mm. others can lead us into insufficient care and concern for our for our own needs as mm, well mm-hmm. and can open a door through which other people can penetrate to harm us so with that stated up front as a kind of caution one of the wonderful things that warm-heartedness does for us new research is, is showing especially related to what's called polyvagal theory and the work of Steve Porges and others in that area it's the fact that our internal regulatory autonomic nervous system machinery, especially drawing on the parasympathetic wing of the nervous system, that calms and protects our heart and lungs and our digestive system and all our viscera, that system that's regulated by the lower first branch of the vagus nerve complex is tightly connected to the second, more recent branch of the vagus nerve complex that moves up and into the face and is very involved with facial expressions that are warm and loving, as well as uh, this uh, more recent branch of the vagus nerve complex is involved in tracking prosody or prosody, the subtle intonations in the voices of others, Mm -hmm. especially in the frequencies that are loving and soothing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The vagus nerve complex is involved with that. Well, what that means is that as we uh, engage the so-called social engagement system in our in our nervous system, uh, especially the second most recent branch, as we do that, uh, regulatory benefits ripple downward into the original branch of the vagus nerve complex that's involved in slowing the heart rate and protecting the cardiovascular system against uh, stress and, and even traumatic stress. So you get a double benefit. As you open your heart and you drop into a healthy lovingness, in addition to whatever the social benefits may be, Mm. and in addition to whatever the pleasures of that may be, you're actually protecting your physical systems. You're protecting your immune system against the impact of stress. You're protecting your cardiovascular system against the impacts of stress as well. Uh, It's not just good for your relationships to be warm and loving. It's good for long-term health as well. Mm. That's a great context uh, to speak to some of those relationship benefits really quickly. There are a lot of obvious ones. I think that two that are maybe a little bit less obvious is just the simple reciprocity of if you're warm towards somebody else, it increases the likelihood that they're going to be warm towards you. The second one is something that we're actually going to talk about next week, but I want to just name it really quickly, Mm -hmm. which is this idea of unilateral virtue, Mm. where... Even if you don't get anything obvious from 
being more compassionate towards others or being kinder to them, what you do get is the satisfaction of knowing that you were kind and compassionate. That's right. And certainly for me, and I think that for many people, the simple fact that you kind of took the high road and were, quote unquote, the better person is sort of all the motivation that you need in and of itself. Being rested in love mm. in some appropriate form, depending on the nature of the relationship, being rested in love is incredibly self-protecting. Mm. It makes us stronger. It shields us. It makes us more able to manage the reactions of other people, to know, no matter what they say, if it's true for you, that you didn't lose sight of uh, who they were deep down inside, mm -hmm. and you never put them out of your heart, and no matter how much they aggravated you, maybe, you never stopped loving them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really powerful point. So, so far, and also in the book Resilient, we've used kind of a lot of words interchangeably. Uh, we use compassion and kindness and love and warm-heartedness and loving-kindness and so on and so forth. Um, so I'm just sort of wondering, is there a reason that we particularly use that phrase compassion and kindness as mm. opposed to just kind of saying one or the other or using one word as a sort of catch-all? Yeah. Well, first, there's an old saying, uh, differentiate to integrate. Mm. In other words, it really does help to know what it feels like to be compassionate, distinct from kind, hmm. and to know what kindness feels like, distinct from camaraderie, okay. and how that is, let's say, distinct from being so delighted at, about good news about other people, hmm. being so glad for their good fortune. As we become more aware of the experiential distinctions, between these states of being, then we become more able to identify them for internalization. Mm. And we also become more nimble and capable internally at calling them up at will. So when you know what compassion feels like distinct from kindness, you're able to call up compassion distinct from kindness when it's appropriate. So for example, the difference between compassion and kindness. Compassion involves three things. First, Empathy for the suffering of another person. Mm. Suffering is a fancy word. It could be large or small. Uh, empathy for the burdens of another person, the way that they're tired, the way that they're worried about their kids, the way that deep down inside they know that one day they too must die and how they feel about that. There's, there's, a, there's a feeling of the way life has landed hard on that other person, on all people, in fact. Second, we're not merely in recognizing that suffering. We are benevolent about it. Mm. We, we care. We uh, wish it weren't happening for that other person. And then third, there's a movement to help if one can. We're not merely empathic and caring toward that other person, but we want to help if at all possible. So compassion presupposes suffering. Mm. Kindness, alternately, is typically expressed as the wish that others be happy. Mm. Uh, a and so there's no presupposition of suffering there. We can mobilize a kindness for other people who are suffering. We can be, for example, helpful toward them, uh, if, but we don't necessarily have to have a sense of the suffering of others to mobilize kindness. In reality, they do tend to mush together, but I think uh, it's helpful for people to feel kind of the difference. Compassion has a quality of, oh, we're sorrowful with them. 
There's a bittersweet quality. We feel the bitter of their pain with the sweet of our caring for them. Mm. Kindness has more of an upbeat, cheerful, friendly quality to it. Like, oh, how you doing? Yeah, hey, can I help? It has that tone to it. It's a little different from the, from the tone of compassion. Great. I think that, as an aside, this is around the point in our progression in these episodes where the structure of the path that you kind of lay out in the book Resilient becomes a little bit more apparent. Because initially, if, you, if you're somebody who's been listening to these for a while now, uh. if you kind of remember back to January when we first started doing this series, and we began with self-compassion. Yeah. So how do you apply this sense of compassion and kindness toward yourself? Yeah. Now we're moving towards how can you apply compassion and kindness toward other people? Exactly. Hopefully from the standpoint of having already developed that yep. core inside your self that is kind to yourself. There was so, a method to the madness. Yeah, there was a Who plan knew? all along. Who would have thought? Um, so given that that's the case, <laughs> what are some of those ways that we can increase our capacity for compassion and kindness? To begin with some context, there's a lot of research about the effects of different programs that help people train in compassion or train in kindness. So it's really possible to develop this in yourself. And I could add to that myself. I was in a relationship with someone at one point who was doing a lot of stuff that was pretty problematic. And I had a choice. Do I stay in this relationship or do I dig deep and love at will? And I chose to run an experiment for some months in which I loved at will and just sort of let them do these things they were doing. So what do you mean by that? It's really interesting, isn't it? It's the deliberate mobilization of lovingness for another person. And you realize that you really can love at will. There's probably a range of what's possible depending on who that other person is and the nature of the relationship and what's happening in the moment. Mm. All right. But are you at the top of that range of willed lovingness or at the bottom of the range of what's authentically possible to you? And at this point, people often say, well, but then you're faking it. Or, well, it doesn't mean as much if you have to deliberately be loving. And I think that's a deep misunderstanding. I think loving at will is doubly loving because it's mm -hmm. loving and uh, in itself. And there's a, a lovingness behind the intention to deliberately mobilize lovingness, especially if it's not your first inclination. And in the process of doing that, I was really quite amazed that you can actually build up the muscle of love, metaphorically speaking. And in the process of doing that, uh, to some larger points, I reserved my rights. Mm. Just because we're compassionate and kind doesn't mean that we're waiving our rights. doesn't mean we're agreeing with the other person. This is a recurring theme. We don't necessarily approve of them. We're going to judge for ourselves in some weeks or months, even years, based on the course we've taken. And yet it's really amazing to realize how much that lovingness can actually be done deliberately. Mm. So in that context, some ways to help yourself. One is to notice how good it feels. If you're used to caring for others, having a lot of pain associated with it, it's hard to want to open your heart even more. But if you can find the pleasure and the, and the sweetness, I think there's a sweetness in caring and kindness uh, then you're going to be more inclined to be that way in the future. Mm -hmm. That makes sense, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, another thing is to really 
just open to how hard life is for so many people. I'll do a thing sometimes just walking down a city street and looking at people or moving through an airport, not trying to stare at them in some creepy way, but just tracking. And you see immediately, empathically, whoa, this person's in pain. You just look in their face and see a longing for love that's not been fulfilled in them. And when you do that, your heart is naturally moved. So a kind of deliberate recognition of the suffering in others. I think that's another way to build the muscle of the heart. A third one that people talk about, especially related to self-compassion, is to see common humanity. Mm. It's, again, so interesting to see the differences. You're walking through the airport. Oh, that person is of a different fill-in-the-blank. Gender of mine, race of mine, age of mine social class of mine, maybe vibe of mine. And we're struck by that. But then if you look more deeply, and it's especially powerful to do this with people who seem superficially most unlike you, to look more deeply at them, to see, oh, this mom is worried about her kids. Oh, this father is trying to find the tickets. Oh, there's a strange distance between the father and the mother, like they've been quarreling recently. Mm. Oh, and you can imagine, you can sense into the common humanity that you can relate to in yourself, in these qualities and others. And as we track common humanity, we're naturally um, moved to love. And, and also, uh, as I'm sure we'll talk about later, as we track common humanity, that's, that's a way to uh, widen the circle of us Mm-hmm. because we are quite prone to not care about people that are outside that circle. When we have a sense of our common humanity, then we widen the circle of us and we include more beings in it. I think those are some great ways to improve that sense of warm-heartedness towards others, particularly if you're somebody who kind of struggles a little bit with getting that true sense of kindness and connection towards people who are strangers or are very different from yourself. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of one case. What if you're somebody who has had problematic experiences with warm-heartedness in the past? Yes. Like, for instance, you're someone who has really expressed that feeling to other people, but when you did, you were dismissed, or you Mm. were kind of pushed away, or pushed down, or told that you were excessively emotional, or whatever it might be. What are some of the things that you can do to kind of repair those old experiences and move back towards a stance of being warm-hearted towards That's others. That's very interesting. Mm. One thing to be aware of is that our warmth toward others is an implicit bid for contact. Yeah. And when others are on the receiving end of an implicit bid for contact, sometimes they like it and sometimes they don't or they want to establish a a greater emotional distance. Mm. And I've been in situations where I was perplexed, even as a therapist, where I would be warm toward another person, supportive, complimentary, Mm. and then they would do something that was distancing right afterward. And I came to realize that uh, there's a kind of, I don't know, thermostat setting or intensity level. It returns a little bit to just our whole conversation on intimacy and autonomy, right? Like when you are, when you're, warm in that way towards others, it can be perceived as a bid for intimacy. And if they're not comfortable with that level of intimacy, there might be a pushing back that can even be pretty aggressive. Yeah, or a threat to their autonomy. Absolutely. Particularly yeah. if they have a history. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting thing to to actually dial back the intensity of our relatedness to mm. others. And 
even lovingness to others, especially the expression of that lovingness, to stay within the comfort zone of the other person. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe over time, we can do things to kind of help that comfort zone widen or help the other person become more used to us so they're more okay with us in particular. But this is an interesting one to pay attention to. We could get righteous about our own lovingness. Whoa, I'm being loving. What, you don't want my love? Well, maybe they actually don't want your love, and they have the right to not receive it right now. So that's one thing to take in, to repair the past. A second thing is to realize that you can partial out your issue with the other person today and reserve your rights regarding that concrete, specific issue, while in general, not putting the other person out of your heart. Mm. I'm dealing with someone in my life these days who has done some things, I'll spare you the gory details, in the more business aspects of my life that have led me to shrink the scale of my relationship with them in regard to these intersections we have related to business. And I have other people in my life who know a bit of the backstory and really want me to disengage entirely from this other person. And I don't feel the need to do that. I'm really clear about my boundaries. I'm really clear about how I'm going to handle these practical matters. And I don't need to go to war with that other person. I don't need to ignore our common humanity Mm -hmm. that they and I share. And I think if you know that you really are going to hold the line on the substance. Just because you're warm and caring and open doesn't mean you're going to give in on this particular point. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you really need to communicate that to people because they don't, they don't get it. Well, you're still so friendly. Why won't you just do this thing for me? Well, I can be friendly while also knowing that I'm not going to do that thing for you. And if you know that you're not going to do that thing for that other person, it's easier to keep your heart open to them. Then the last thing I would just say about this uh, example you gave, which is so interesting, what happens if in our history we were sweet and innocent and loving and warm and open, and maybe others took advantage of that, or they were mean and cruel and rejecting? I think that one thing that paradoxically really helps there is to directly observe in your own experience that when you are grounded in a lovingness, it protects you. Mm. It really does. And if other people are grumpy or uh, if other people abuse your trust, shame on them. Mm. No shame on you. Mm -hmm. And I want to emphasize again what we've talked about before, about being really clear-eyed about what you're dealing with, not setting yourself up to be a chump or a doormat or pathologically altruistic and so forth, but to realize that You may have fears, understandable fears from the past about what happens if you're loving. But if you look directly at what you experience when you're loving and how the negative reactions of other people will slide off you when you're really rested in lovingness, then you're going to be much more comfortable with sustaining that lovingness no matter what they do. We talked about this a little while ago. I believe that the context of it was more around habit formation. And I said something to the effect of human relationships are tricky because most of the time out in the world, if you do a good thing, you get a good thing. 
if you do a bad thing, you get a bad thing. Yeah. But in interaction, that's not always the case. Yep. You can do a good thing and still get a bad response. They can punish you for doing a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And that can lead to some very bad habits getting developed inside of our own psyche. And over time, if those bad things happen to us enough over a long enough period, we begin to internalize that oppressor, mm. as we've talked about in the past. Yeah. And so I think that a very challenging thing to do, but a very important thing to do, is to be aware of that. Mm. And to be aware of the fact that, look, just because you got a bad response doesn't mean that you did a bad thing. Now, of course, you have to exercise uh, some clear-eyedness towards uh -huh. your own behavior. Was it really a good thing that you yeah. did? Because, of course, you can lean too far in one direction or another. But no, if you look at it and we're like, I was just nice to that person and I got slapped for it. Yeah. That's not on you. That's not on you. And it's great, too, for us to, to draw this distinction between what you feel inside yourself and what you express. Mm -hmm. And it's important to appreciate, and people can really explore this, you can be full of loving feelings that are intense and which pervade your mind, while at the same time expressing very little of it. Mm -hmm. And so the examples you've brought up are not about the experience of loving. They are, mm. they are about the expression of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think that's where we wander into hot water with other people. Yeah. yeah. And so what's really neat is to appreciate you can avoid the pitfalls related mm. sometimes mm -hmm. to the expression of mm -hmm. lovingness while feeling simultaneously really lived by love as like a warm rising wellspring mm -hmm. lifting up through your heart. To speak to that for one moment, I think it's a great point. And I think that there are... There's a whole range of people in terms of their expression of mm. various forms of loving kindness. And I think that there are people who just are rays of sun in a room in terms of they're exuberant, they're running around, they're kind and loving towards everyone, and that just feels like a very authentic expression yeah. for them. And then there are also people who you just are around them and you feel like they're really seeing you. You mm. feel like they're really genuinely happy that they're that you're there. You feel that that person is really kind of communicating a subconscious feeling almost yeah. of that kind of loving kindness without really feeling the need to express it overtly. Mm. And I think that both of these ways of being are, are perfectly lovely and wonderful, but I do think that they are both possible, which is the point that I'm making here, that you don't have to compromise your own sense of loving kindness just because there are people who may not want to receive it right in that moment. As a final thought, for somebody who's really trying to kind of heal old wounds around the expression of love towards others and having it not be received, uh, the fundamental process of heal, where you have an experience, you enrich it, you absorb it, and you link it, is the underlying blueprint for everything that you do yeah. with regards to strengths development. So, of course, you can apply that same blueprint and that same model to issues around um, the reception of lovingness as well. Yes, and... One thing that I'm just really mulling here from what you're saying is that, weirdly, loving others helps heal wounds related to others not loving you. Mm, mm -hmm. It's the weirdest thing that without minimizing at all the neglect, let's say in the past, or the feeling of there being a hole in your heart that just has not been filled by enough love coming at you. It's really remarkable that working with the feeling, the experiencing of love, broadly defined, 
and is appropriate expressing it, is soothing and healing for wounds of the heart. That's amazing. And it is very hopeful because it means that even if there are impediments to receiving love from the outside, the experiencing of love and as appropriate the expressing of love can still carry you a long way to a full healing. I think that's a great place to wrap up this episode on warming the heart. We began by talking about the importance of kindness and compassion. We then talked for a second about the difference between compassion and kindness and these words that sometimes we use interchangeably, but that it is useful to draw distinctions between because as we become more granular in our experience of the experience, for lack of a better way of putting it, we become more familiar with it and therefore increase our ability to draw upon it when necessary. We then talked for a while about some of the ways that we can increase our capacity for compassion and kindness, including savoring warm-heartedness, recognizing suffering in others, and seeing our common humanity. Then at the end there, we talked for a minute about some of the pitfalls of compassion and kindness, whether that be giving it to people who aren't prepared to receive it, or that be the ways in which opening ourselves to compassion and kindness can increase our vulnerability to attacks along that line from other people. Uh, You closed with a great thought that I think really puts a bow on this whole idea, which is that even when we are not necessarily free to express our compassion and kindness to others, we are still free to feel it inside of ourselves. So we hope you'll join us again next week when we'll complete the strength of intimacy by discussing unilateral virtue. This is drawing upon all the strengths that we've learned so far to be honorable and responsible, even when others aren't. Until then, thanks for listening. 